Greetings, dear listeners. Shadi took the week off, and our friend Christine Emba took his spot. We decided to have the author, Tara Isabella Burton, on the show this week to talk about her work, and specifically her new book, Self-Made, Creating Our Identities from Da Vinci to the Kardashians. What is it about modernity that seems to be driving more and more people into spiritual crisis? And what's different about it from previous spiritual crises that have shaped American history? How are people squaring a need for belonging with a need to improve themselves? And is this all a very bad thing? You may have noticed we moved to Substack recently. We hope you'll head on over and check out all the new content there, essays, debates, and guest writers. Do consider becoming a paying subscriber if you're not one yet while you're at the site. You'll get access to, among other things, the full conversation. Become part of the crowd. And don't forget to give us a like and review on your favorite podcast app. With all that out of the way, on to the show. That's kind of related to our conversation, actually. Psychedelics, right? That's yeah. that's oh. kind of becoming a new big religious experience now. Becoming as though it wasn't, like, for the past mm. 50 years. I'm very yeah. torn. I mean, go on about psychedelics. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, it's like, I've tried them. I, I've, I, in low levels, fine, I guess. Had one not so great experience. Feel like it was probably my own fault. And now, like... <laughs> more afraid of death than I was before and I feel like that's not fair that's like the one thing it's supposed to help you not have yeah. and I'm like do I do more do I like try it again but in a less dumb way do I just never do this again like the question is should I do it more is a little bit alarming like what if you just become even more terrified of death but I'm already terrified of death so like how much more terrified of death could I get <laughs> but that's fascinating, Tara. I mean, like, so, so, so it, it, it instilled a sense of mortality rather than a sense of, uh, of, uh, yeah, l- like the limitless. Yeah, but I was also like, it was the year that I was like, I was thirty, so maybe it was just that I was thirty and the shrooms didn't have anything to do with it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like acute, and I, I am very wary of it as a kind of like. This is a religious experience that everyone should have in a secular way. But also, like, I'm a reasonably big stoner and it makes my life a little bit better and it is not a spiritual experience. And I'm curious about what kind of nice things I can do for my brain in a moderate and controlled manner uh, that might be available to me through psychedelics. Uh, But I think that it's probably, like, low-level incompatible with, I don't know, theological convictions I have. Who knows? Hmm. I mean, I've like, so, so I I haven't like uh, done a ton, uh, but in Mm. my youth as well, I've sort of dabbled in it. And, and I've always thought, I mean, I think it's right. It's just basically where you find yourself. And, and at least for, for, for me uh, and my own sort of, I don't know, uh, psychological and maybe philosophical pre-commitments, it just reinforced basically, uh, thoughts about you know not about like limitless meaning but actually just sort of circumscribed meaning in a big way 
So I just think it's it's really what you bring to it. I think that this idea that 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 it's going to reveal something is revelatory in nature. I've never bought, but then again, I'm really predisposed to non-revelation. So, uh, so that's the sort of thing. I mean, this, I think it's a pretty good lead-in to yeah. to to talk about. Um, uh, well, I guess I don't know, Tara, to maybe introduce you to our uh, to our listeners and viewers. Um, We'll talk about your book and your your most recent article, but why don't you maybe tell us a little bit about I don't know how to put it your project. Uh, I mean, you were you were a reporter at at uh, religion reporter at Vox, and and um, I mean I've known you for a while. Uh, and the funniest thing about uh, you know I've 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 heard about you and met you through I think like two or three vectors, and they're like people that mutually actually have nothing to do with each other. So I don't know, maybe try, try and orient our, our, our audience a little bit about, you know, you talk about your project. Um, if that's, if that's even a sensible thing to ask. Sure. So I am, um, I was about to say I'm an ex-theologian, but I once met a Catholic priest who told me that there's no such thing as an ex-theologian. Uh, I'm an ex-academic theologian who um, moved back to New York to work about in 2017 to vo- for Vox.com, VVox, not FVox. I uh, always feel like I have to clarify. And uh, <laughs> became inversed in the kind of incredible contrast between those two uh, discursive modes and also the sort of culture of like Oxford theology versus uh, coastal online journalism. And this ended up with me, uh, I think my project, which is which is in all of my nonfiction books, is trying to uncover um, the implicit shared, I don't know if I'd call it a civic religion or a civil religion of uh, everyday life in quote unquote liberal modernity. Uh, what are the metaphysical, moral and ethical assumptions uh, encoded in a ostensibly secular culture? And my, my first uh, nonfiction book, Strange Rights, uh, looked at that from a more sociological perspective. Uh, what does religion look like in the age of the internet? And what does religion for the religiously unaffiliated look like? Then uh, this new project, Self Made, takes a more historical approach. It looks at the phenomenon of self-creation, uh, which you can kind of conceive of as the, the entrepreneur, self-made man on one side and the dandy who, or celebrity who creates their life as a work of art on the other, looking at these two figures as two sides of the same coin to make the argument that there's a kind of divinization of desire of the self, of our internal uh, yearnings and wantings being seen as constitutive of our humanity that defines... Um, the modern age, uh, but particularly the internet age, because uh, it's the internet, I believe, and this is both part of self-made and part of other projects that I'm working on. The internet is kind of the culmination of a lot of the, divin- the these tendencies towards a divinization of desire, but it's also like fuel on the fire. We now exist in, for huge portions of our lives in a disembodied desire machine that runs on the attention economy and clicks and eyeballs and uh, are wanting being monetizable. And so that's self-made and that's my project. Yeah, amazing. I mean, when you talk about sort of the spiritual and religious impulses, I mean, I think like one of the most important things to note is that at least sort of the 
the Western modern world, like, is becoming rapidly despiritualized. Like, that's the key finding of our time. Like, every poll from Pew to elsewhere shows that people are increasingly disaffiliating from traditional religions, like Christianity, et cetera, et cetera, and are identifying as nuns, which doesn't mean that they're not spiritual, right? It's just that they are not into organized faith. So... I mean, I just being a person online and unfortunately on a lot of lifestyle websites, I am so fascinated by the new resurgence of astrology and people taking it really, really seriously. And then like manifesting and everybody talking about like their vibes and like getting their auras read and whatever. Um, Tell me what's happening there. Right. So I think I don't actually think we're de-spiritualizing as a culture. What I actually think is going on is that religion is looking different and is becoming uh, more more personal and more, to use an awful internet word, bespoke. Uh, we are curating our bespoke religions. I hate it. And the, the argument that... I hate it. <laughs> uh, the, the argument that I, I make in Strange Rights is, is basically that um, what the Protestant Reformation or what the printed book is the, the Protestant Reformation, the internet is to whatever this is. And specifically this idea that we can kind of reimagine, reshape, pull from a variety of sources and kind of create a world and a worldview that quote unquote feels authentic to us for every like definition of feels and authentic and us. Um, we are kind of, encouraged by the culture, encouraged by the way that the internet literally works, and kind of encouraged by a shared discursive sense, sense, a shared discursive sense that uh, spirituality is something we create for ourselves. And I think that there's sort of two ways of looking at this. And one is to say, we are all individually making our own religions, which I think is true. Or that even, to clarify, all of us are implicitly or explicitly caught up in this expectation regardless of our actual religious affiliation. So we're talking, you know, when we're talking about the the 25% of Americans who say they have no religion or the 20% of Americans who say they're spiritual but not religious, uh, that's one kind of the most obvious example of this category. But you also have like about a quarter of Christians say they believe in reincarnation. Um, What, you know, how do you think about them except as people who are also kind of remixing from within uh, an ostensibly confessional faith tradition. Uh, and you have people who who kind of, they're living in this world. They're reading the, the lifestyle magazines. They're wa- reading the ads on the subway. They're getting these messages on their phone. They're tracking their steps uh, and uploading it to, you know, a, a kind of wider fitness tracker. Like, it's very difficult not to be part of this remixing phenomenon, even if you don't want to. So that's thing A. But I'd say that um, there's sort of two sides of this. One is, as I said, uh, everyone makes their own religion. And two is that the that assumption is downstream of a wider shared assumption that maybe we can talk of as an actual kind of civil religion or shared religious assumption, which is that like internality and authenticity and vibes are good. I think 
the, the I find it so striking that the language of energy, of vibes, of manifestation is like you it's ev- it's everywhere and it's kind of uncritically affirmed like you go into a soul cycle class you go into a candle store you just like read an article about going on vacation any part of life and this sort of sense that like there's energy in the universe and by like accessing your own internal spiritual psychological state you can somehow harness this energy uh that your personal feelings about this are kind of constitutive of a kind of moral element. All of this fits together in like a very, what I might call the theology of the internet or the theology of vibes. So, you know, um, I think I'm going to be the, the, uh, the person standing in for people who aren't necessarily as plugged in. One word just caught my ear manifestation. What are, what are you talking about? Like when you, when you talk about that, I think Christine, you said it as well. What 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 is that in the in the in the common parlance here? It's difficult to believe that you aren't uh, manifesting daily, Demir. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah, perhaps I'm not. The other thing is, I've never Where been to a soul cycle. I had no idea. I had no idea that 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 soul cycle was was spiritual. But now, now looking it's, at the name, it's I, in I the see. Name, how did I? How did I fucking miss it? Yeah. So that, <laughs> it's not called body cycle. Body cycle, clearly not. Um, not called historical I mean, materialism cycle. I should be. I'd go. I'd join that gym. No, but look. Uh, so, I, I guess you know you, you can help me with that in some way. But but uh, I guess the the other question again, as as a as a cranky older person, um, I think your book is great insofar as that it traces exactly how this wends through America. And like, you know, I, you, you set it up as, you know, sort of a European approach to the self-made thing and, and then the American thing. And I, I, I think that's that's spot on. But the thing that, 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 you know, Christine, you were saying as you dwell in these online spaces and you're, you're uh, remarking on this sort of profusion, I don't know the statistics. Um, is, is, it, is, it, is it bigger than it was before or is the Internet just making it louder? Now, I know the surveys about nuns are getting bigger. Um, but then again, you know, the, the sort of history of, of American religion is one of this kind of pick your own faith. I mean, I've always, I've always been struck by, oh gosh, I mean, uh, again, in the online space, but someone like Rod Dreher, who's, you know, mm. oh, I don't like this faith. I'm going to go pick a different faith. Constantly Coming converting. from Europe, that's an absurdity. That's, that's an absolute absurdity to me. Like, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not a believer at all, but, but I understand that, that, you know, Catholicism is just basically tied to largely where I come from. And it's like part of the identity of, of Croatia. So it's just Sorry. a bizarre thing. It's a very American thing. I think Sorry, to be able Demir, to just, like, just to pick cut your in. own. Yeah, um, go by you, all means, cut are, in whenever. Are you accusing Rod Dreher of being uh, the paragon of liberal modernity? Cause that amuses Ooh, me I mean, very much. <laughs> just uh, making hopefully sure. He's listening. Hopefully he's listening. <laughs> You've got to bring him no, on. But I mean, response. it is, it is, it's a, it's an American thing, though, isn't it? Like sort of that. And so, I mean, I, I guess my question to 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 you, Tara, if you have the statistics on like how much this is changing and how much is it just sort of, you know, a path of, I don't know, Americanism in a way. And I'm going to jump in so, really briefly, too, actually, because um, I have a, a related question. So one of the differences, I think, between 
this moment and even like 15 or 20 years ago though it's like america has always been about like choose your own uh adventure but what used to be the thing in the past was rejecting um religion for just like atheism for like science like the new atheist being like no god is dead nothing is true it's all just like chemicals in your brain but this is not that that like totally materialistic thing it's it's still spiritual in a deep way. Like there is an idea of a higher power that was kind of out of vogue for a little bit, I want to say. Does that sound right to you, Tara? Or correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think that, all right, I'm trying to figure out the best order to answer those questions. And um, I'll start with Demir and then work my way uh, uh, onward. So... I think America has historically always had this very specific tension between um, what I've called in the past the institutional and the intuitional. That there's this like specifically intuitional strain in American religion uh, from the inception of America, let's say, but particularly in the 19th century onwards, where it is a the the stress on internal and internally felt elements to. Um, one's religious practice and identity. You can see it on the rise of for everything from the method circuit writer, Methodist circuit writers to uh, the burned over district and the great awakenings to modern evangelicalism to the counterculture of uh, San Francisco in the 60s. Um, what is different now? Uh, first of all, I think the, um, the fact that more and more people being spiritually, uh, sorry, religiously unaffiliated means that um, there isn't even a kind of veneer of uh, religion as a source of certain kinds of social cohesion or community identity where, um, you know, you're, you're the, the institutional part, generation by generation, is just going away. Like, we, you look at uh, age by age, group by age group, uh, the younger you are, the more likely you are to disaffiliate. So 25% or so, a little less, uh, of Americans are religiously unaffiliated. That goes up to 36% for uh, young millennials and Generation Z. I anticipate it will go higher. And what that kind of means, I think, when we combine it with, um, and I think the, like, I'm not sure how you would uh, find the statistics for, like, what internet vibes mean, but uh, <laughs> a kind of culture where... So much of our lives is disembodied and is uh, governed by networks of voluntary association, communica uh, communication with people that you kind of have something in common with, and fewer and fewer uh, resources and institutional polls on kind of knowing people in meat space that you have this sort of one thing in common with, regardless of your um, personal beliefs about it. Like, a question, there's sort of two questions. And one is like, do people believe more or less than they did 100 years ago? And one is like, what is the experience and impulse of the person who's not entirely sure what they believe internally, but like, might 50 years ago have showed up, gone to church, uh, you know, participated in the coffee hour or the bake sale, and now do not feel that impulse as part of their religious identity, so to speak. Now, having answered that, I've now forgotten what Christine asked me. Uh, <laughs> That's totally fair. We'll get um, back to it. But no, I like I like this point that you're making about the associational part. Like, even if you weren't really a believer, you would still just show up 
at a place. Like mm-hmm. you go to church or go to the mosque or whatever because your family went. Like the people in the neighborhood went and it would be weird if you didn't go. And there is like almost none of that pre- like pressure today, it feels like. But at the same time, there's an opposite pressure that like people want that still in a way, but they like don't trust the old sources of religion. Like they don't necessarily trust like going to a church, but they still want to meet up with people and do vaguely spiritual things. So they just like do it at Soul Cycle instead. Or I wrote a piece a couple of years ago about witches um, when all these witches were hexing Trump. Um, uh, in, yes. 20, <laughs> in 2016. The 2017 witch 2017. Season. Yeah. Yes. And it was like, oh, well, I don't want to go to church, but I like meet up with my coven in D.C. every week. And it's like, okay, so you go to witch church, I guess. But yeah. But, but, but you know, the, 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 the thing that, that, that jumped out at me, um, both in your your most recent book and in the piece in the new Atlantis and we'll link to both of them in the show notes is something else though, Christine, that's sort of counter to what you're saying. And and it's, it's, it's the thing that, you know, if, if I don't know, uh, yeah, it sort of like raises my, my blood pressure to a certain extent. <laughs> it's the self-involvement of, of a lot of people today. And that's, and, you know, I mean, in the book you trace it as, you know, this, this long trend since the Renaissance, since after the middle ages of, of, you know, um, the ability to self-define and that that kind of conceit among people, which has become more and more democratized. I mean, that's one way to think about it: is that America is at the forefront of the democratization of the individual and the self. Um, but but especially in the New Atlantis piece, it's it's uh, it's an incredible void of any community and not a sense of belonging to anything. It's all about like making yourself, and and even this quest for community is some sort of quest for personal self-fulfillment, personal creation, uh, individual actuation, and all this sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, Christine, I, I mean, I, I, it's true, I think, that people still do seek community, but they seek it in a very selfish way, it seems to me. Yeah, and actually, so just for the listeners who haven't read it, and we'll definitely link it in the show notes, because it's super fascinating, Tara wrote this, published this piece recently in the New Atlantis called Rational Magic, and it's about how, like, rationalists, you know, the sort of Tyler Cowen, Slate Star Codex readers, um, who were previously very deeply into, I guess, this, like, scientific atheism, have now, some of them at least, have decided actually that spirituality is important and they can sort of find some way to harness that. But you can tell us more about that, Tara, as you respond to Demir. Uh, so here is how I would frame it. Um, like there's, there's the, the very, and I think this answers both Demir and Christine, uh, both of your points, which is that the sort of mo- the, the, the thing that makes this contemporary remixing uh, something that gives me pause is not just that, like, oh, we're replacing church with witch church, um, but that there's an implicit understanding in the modern iteration of witch church or the modern iteration of this kind of post-rat, slightly ceremonial magic adjacent self-overcoming, uh, that there's an underlying assumption there, which is 
A, that the truth claims don't matter. Like, the, this is kind of purely pragmatic or purely fun functional. Like, there isn't a lot, there's not a lot of, like, this is real and true and we believe that it is real and true. Uh, there's a lot of, like, we believe it because it works. We believe this because it makes us feel better. We believe it because it's, like, a good way of achieving a kind of self-actualization. And so the mentality becomes, like, meaning, purpose, ritual, and community are things that religion provides for us and which we can get. And this is a kind of consumer mindset. Like, okay, I, I need my I need my meaning. Like, where do I go get meaning? I go to the meaning store and I just like pick out the meaning that resonates <laughs> with me. And now I have meaning. Great. Um, and I think that the, like, A, I think that like, if we're going to talk about the pragmatic, political, functional side of it, uh, I think it's generally good for people to have uh, as part of their uh, bespoke uh, identities, lives, and uh, journeys, uh, stuff that you don't really enjoy, but that you do before you because you have to, or things that are about the community that you're in, or otherwise, like, parts of your reality that are not dependent on your immediate psychological state. Like, those are generally good things. But even if I were to make that argument, I would be falling into the trap of, is this good for you? Like, this is this 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 whole religion thing. Its only purpose is to like let you be your best self and live your best life. Now, uh, it's perfectly possible and plausible and intellectually coherent to be like, there's no God. There's nothing after death. Uh, none of this is real. So we can only look at it through the lens of like pragmatism. Like, does it make us feel good and like make us less nervous about dying? In which case, uh, this is at least coherent. Or, but you can also say, like, the reason that traditional religions uh, work, if you grant that they do work, is that they are making robust truth claims about the nature of reality, that they are doing, they are investigating something that is extremely uh, important and profound. They are asking the big questions in this kind of um, authentic I, now that word means something else in, in this conversation <laughs> but uh, in a quite deep sense and uh in the absence of that like 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 what what we're left with is the kind of like re religion in a secular age not because uh not because or like not because we are secular or don't believe in vibes or energy of the supernatural but because the way that belief is working uh, in how we talk about it is purely about personal self-fulfillment. So we are kind of all in that way um, pulled into the miasma of the religion of the self, that this is just the only thing we can sort of quote unquote agree on culturally is that we should be focusing our own personal self-actualization. Which Demir loves. So, well, so, so look, I mean, I've, I've been sort of, you know, and wisdom of crowds just sort of poking at this uh, recently. I mean, um, I, I uh, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote about ChatGPT and sort of you know what the possible implications of of um, of us confronting whatever it is that we're building here uh, will have for our, our sense of self. Um, and and my my sort of contrarian instinct was to say that you know um, that our very modern sense of self is is actually no more true or false as anything else. And in fact, that like, you know, there's a, a plausible case to be made that we should be defining 
our very sense of self down towards what ChatGPT is, rather than you know wondering whether ChatGPT is sentient and and in some level on us. And and you know this is I guess a, a, a question for both of you. I it's I don't know. I'm 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 not a in any way a theologian or uh, a student of any of this. I just have this intuition. And again, in the, in the most recent essay, I was writing about uh, about therapy. Um, I, I have this intuition that, uh, you know, again, Tara, taking all your points about you know this self actuation going back a very long time as a as a trend, but nevertheless, even reading your book and looking at the sort of you know early Renaissance examples, I wonder. I kept wondering whether. Um, even in trying to understand them, we actually have no access to the level that the self or the concept of the self existed back then. Even for the iconoclasts back then who are, really were trying to fashion, um, you know, a certain kind of individualism, let's call it. And, and, and that, that maybe really what we're talking about is, again, some sort of like final spasm of, of, of you know, toxic Freudianism right now that, that we're experiencing right now. And so you have... Yeah, the decline, especially in America, of, of organized religion, that sort of the ability to truth claims, as you said it, that like grounds people. But that, that, that you know, what you're describing right there about this, your own sort of, you know, push and pull um, and trying to confront people, sort of self-actualizing self themselves. But I wonder if you're not sufficiently skeptical about the limits of what we think is ourself at this point. I think, I think we've, we've, as, as collectively, I mean, and you know, you sort of can't, ex, ex, you can't, you can't run away from it when you're living in the society. It's just, everything's encoded in the way we think about ourselves. But I'm constantly struck by this kind of, you know, pressure and necessity to like tend to the self as if it's, as if it's, clearly the only thing that we know anything about. And I wonder if that's just completely wrong. Um, that, that that's what bugs me most about all of this shit, quite frankly, that, that it's, it's, it's a kind of advanced self-regard um, and an advanced sense of just solipsistic narcissism um, that, that is at the core of all of this. This is why actually I have less sympathy for a lot of this crap than than I think most, and this is my, my inner crank coming out now, like having read your books and your essays, but I don't know, react to any part of that, but why, what, am I, am I completely just, you know, like yelling at the moon here as an old man? Or no, is I think you're, I mean, that? I, I think of myself as very cranky. I'm just quietly cranky. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, Epis I'm a, I'm a, I'm Episcopalian cranky. Um, uh, it's all passive <laughs> aggression. Uh, but the, I guess the way that I see this phenomenon or the way that I would talk about it, um, I don't disagree with the, like, this is narcissistic and bad, uh, version, but I also, like, would find it very difficult to blame any one individual who's kind of been memed into all of this for, uh, not breaking out of the mimetic cycle of modernity. Uh, the way that I would characterize what's going on, in addition to it being, like, narcissistic and annoying and bad, is that... Uh, the question of what makes us who we are, what makes us us, uh, the answer to that question has shifted historically. And it has shifted so far from a version of like, the thing that makes us us is uh, 
our family, our community, like that, that which is given to us uh, at birth, that which we inherit uh, from the social imaginary as well as our like animal nature uh, to what I would describe and do describe in self-made as uh, I am what I want. Like that is the realest, truest thing about me. Now, caveat, I do not think that like answer A was the obvious right answer and answer B is just like the liberal modernity problem answer. I I don't think that like, wouldn't it be great if we all thought like medievals again? Uh, precisely because I think the best in the self-making tradition, the thing that should be preserved, which is also something that I see in like, the best of the best of the Christian tradition for, for what it's worth is a sense that who we are is not reducible to the interlocking lattices of social identity or reducible to the animal part of ourselves that will decay and die. So I think that like the medieval or a broadly pre-modern conception that privileges the notion of ourselves and our identities as being fundamentally received. We are um, where we were born. We are families. We are communities. We are the that which we inherit uh, is is incomplete. And I think the best in both the liberal tradition and also for what it's worth, the Christian tradition, is this I sense that there is something irreducible about us that is distinct. There's a kind of dignity to our usness that uh has to do with our, you know, ability to conceive of, you know, I'm thinking of Hamlet again, like bounded in a nutshell and king of infinite space. Like there is something special there that does make us us. That part I am on board with that part. I like that part. Where I think that tendency has gone, which is to say the pendulum swinging way too far the other way, is a kind of conception of the self that says, like, all of these other things that I inherit, um, my my community, my my society, these are kind of, these are custom. These are arbitrary. These are coincidence. Like, there's, there's like a whole enlightenment, like, genre of book that's just like, everything is just custom. Custom is bad. Let's cut the lean strings of custom. Custom is just dumb, arbitrary stuff that's not real. There's no ontological weight to it. And I think that once we kind of get rid of that, uh, what ends up happening historically, and you see this in both the kind of what I call the European aristocratic and American democratic visions of self-making, is that it becomes like there's something that's sort of innate and also sort of worked for that makes certain people have this specialness. And this specialness, it does get democratized eventually from the like genius self-creator to everyone, but it has to do with this sort of divinization of desire. Like you want it badly enough. You harness the energy of the universe, which is the closest thing we have to a kind of divinity in this schema. And suddenly the, the act of wanting the act of being like, I want to be rich. I am, I am manifesting my like <laughs> hot, wealthy, healthy future self and like bringing that down from the heavens by vibing with energy. Uh, and there's a sort of whole uh, long story about how this is often tied up with like spiritualism or occultism. And like, it's going to sound, I'm going to sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist if I give you the short version, but I promise the long version in the book makes sense that like often these conceptions of the self as having certain kinds of powers are bound up with spirituality outside of organized religion, say. And it gets us to a point somewhere like after Nietzsche and like around Hollywood or maybe all the way by, by the time we get to Warhol of like, you decide to be who you are. 
And the act of deciding, the act of choosing, which is downstream of desiring, uh, is the thing that makes you you. And that is something that I think is a little, like, I can see its appeal. And I can see that it is, in fact, preserving the thing that I think is good, which is like, you are unique and your you-ness is special and your you has to do in part with things that nobody else could like understand or even access because of the incredibleness that is the human psyche. Uh, but when you kind of look at that in isolation and say that one part of you is what makes you you rather than like, isn't it weird how human beings have that and also have bodies and communities and like working together to reconcile all of those things is what makes us us. That is where I want to draw the distinction and criticize uh, the disembodied model. And I think that was just to say that like self-making right now, it's not that it's wrong. It's that it's incomplete. And the way in which it is incomplete really deforms how we think about the human condition, about ourselves and each other. Huh. So Christine, I'll, 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 you go next, but I just want to say one thing just to, to clarify what I was getting at. I'm certainly also not one of these uh, people who thinks that that uh, things were better in medieval times, that, that you know, we need to get back to that kind of traditionalism. I, I'm the furthest from that you can imagine. The only thing that, that, that I find striking about it is, um, and it, it, you know, again, I wrote about this recently. I was, I'm watching this series of lectures about, uh, about Shakespeare, and, uh, you know, they just did Coriolanus uh, in there. And this sort of crazy lecturer is, you know, I think doing a far too Straussian a reading of, of Shakespeare, but it's good stuff. But he really points out um, the extent to which so much of any self-conception at any one time is a product of the society it's in. So all I'm getting at is <coughs> not necessarily making a truth claim that things were better or anything back then, just that they're maybe inaccessible, that they're completely different, um, that... So, I mean, I guess what I'm hearing you say is still a kind of sense of progress here. Like you do see, you see, you see that, you know, individualism, modern individualism has brought ills, but overall has been redemptive as well. I guess I'm just quibbling with that. I'm just saying it's, it's neither nor. It's just, it's sort of shuffling uh, chairs in the Titanic. But Christine, well, you it's, mean, it's your well, turn in any case. I mean, Demir, what do you mean by progress, actually? Like, are, are you just talking about like, we have material progress as we've entered modernity or do you think that there is that moving from the sort of medieval mind um with this understanding of createdness um and perhaps an intense form of connection to other people moving away from that is progress like is that what you're implying? i mean I, I i mean that's a that's a question for you tara i mean i i read i read i saw that in your book a few times and i think it's something that you're struggling with in a sense is what you were saying just now that that there's there's a lot to recommend this modern sense of self in the individual and that it somehow reifies or like brings to the fourth kind of individual emancipation from some kind of tyranny. And now you want to balance it and say that the early Enlightenment folks were kind of nuts for saying that everything's custom and to be discarded. So you want some sort of balance, but you still see a kind of sense of progress in all of this. This is what I reject. This is my my this is my my inherent sort of negative negativity towards all of this and sort of leveling. But uh but yeah, go ahead. Uh so I think like full disclosure, my I am a cranky person. And I also instinctively I'm like 
Like, my instinct wants to be like, this is terrible. Like, clearly anything that is not this uh, must have been preferable in some way. But then I think about it for, like, two more minutes. And I'm like, you know what's great? Not being a medieval peasant dying of dysentery. Yeah. And, like, hmm. by virtue of not being a medieval peasant dying of dysentery, I am able to be like, I wonder if it was would be better to be a medieval peasant dying of dysentery. Um, <laughs> so, with all that said... Um, but that, I but think Tara, that there's Tara, something... That, that's material, though. You just uh, the other answer, you were giving a much more sort of spiritual answer or, or like a... Like an an emancipatory answer. I mean, I I, I agree sure. with that. I mean, I think it's hard to untangle right material progress and what these kinds of psychological changes have allowed us to attain this kind of material progress. I don't think you get from medievalism to our level of prosperity today without emancipating the individual. But I think they're separate questions, right? Well, actually, I I think they're separate questions. Go on, Christine. Oh, go ahead. Well, actually, I'm going to jump in on that because maybe there's a little bit of a bridge here. So the comforts of being a medieval peasant dying of dysentery, right? Are that like, okay, you're Such dying of dysentery. <laughs> the soft, the soft <laughs> life of, of dying of dysentery in your like little hamlet is that you die, but you presumably feel like kind of comforted. Like, oh, I'm dying, but at least I know I'm, I'm going to go meet Gott in Himmel and I'll be happy again. And so there's like some sort of connectedness, comfort there, like this isn't the end. And actually, I think one of the things that we're seeing now, and Tara, you, I know you went on a cruise recently <laughs> that focuses on this and you, and you write about oh, yes. this in your book. Um, but one of the things that I think we're actually seeing now with these people, especially in the tech world, who are almost really afraid of that sort of spirituality or have like totally rejected that religion is that they're really afraid. They're like afraid of death. They are trying to run as far away from it as possible. They're sort of afraid of the reality of their own bodies. And so they're like, well, I want to make sure my biological age stays at 22 until I'm 700. Because I, if I age and I die, then there is a vast nothingness and that's that I can't control. And that's terrifying to me. And so in some ways, like modernity, like I guess the comforts of being a medieval peasant is that are that you didn't feel that bad about dying in the modern age you won't die as quickly but you're like really terrified the whole time and you feel totally alienated from what came before and what came after so psychologically maybe you're more stressed material psychological which one is worse i don't know but that's that seems to be a trend that i'm seeing at least so to to I was probably being a little flippant when I spoke to Demir. I was definitely being a little bit flippant. I, I guess what I what I wanted to say is that like my my instinct is something along the lines of what Christine is saying, and yet I'm very I'm sort of wary of wary of disconnecting both certain kinds of material progress material progress and certain kinds of. Uh, social progress like i do broadly think that like the liberal tradition is a very good thing uh and it is a good thing in part because like i think that human rights are in fact like broadly speaking a good thing and you can quibble with sort of the sp specifics of that or the 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 meaning of it but like i'm very pro you know trials etc um 
and I'm, again, again, I'm being flippant, but what I mean to say is that, uh, less flippantly, is that I don't know if we have access to any kind of comparison or any kind of counter history where we get the good of the self-making tradition without the bad. I don't know if what it would look like to have one but not the other, except perhaps uh, future looking to call for and advocate for uh, ways of living that reject the worst of self-making. And maybe, maybe it's, you know, it's a backwards looking thing to say, like, how do you, you know, how do you form communities that aren't social media addicted? And like, do, do, you know, does that happen through regulating big tech or does that happen through like people forming you know, small little communes in, in Red Hook, Brooklyn, or what have you. I don't know. Um, but I think that what I'm wary of is a kind of backwards-looking narrative that says, well, obviously, this 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 time that we don't actually have, like, full psychological access to, we don't know how the medieval peasant felt on their deathbed. We have how some people talked about and publicly expressed the feeling of death, which is, you know, we don't have eternal access to it. So I'm wary, I'm wary of saying like, obviously that was better. That said, I do think that culturally speaking, we are grappling with a profound sense of, of loss. And I think, Christine, you touch on this with the techno-utopians, like founders with their teenage blood boy sons uh, <laughs> trying to uh, live forever. We'll put that article that in the show notes like, as well. <laughs> the blood boy, go on. That is like... <laughs> That is incredibly, incredibly hauntingly sad, um, precisely because there is a kind of weird human hubris to like, can I overcome my own humanity? Uh, you know, we could, def I, I was at a research for, for work. A, a rationalist solstice a few years ago, maybe 2018, and the whole kind of like, structure of this this like religious service was death is inevitable you will die there is nothing after death it's really awful but maybe if you make money and donate it to transhumanist causes one day other people can live forever wait and that was like the note of hope so okay just for the listener who who isn't deep into this place can you explain what a rationalist solstice is so it was it was rationalist adjacent. It was something called secular solstice. It was what it sounds like. It was like a mix of like Monty Python songs, if I remember correctly. And I want to say there was the Beatles. And it was like an awe. It was it was like a it was like a um, Hanukkah with the candles, except the candles were going out one by one as you uh, got rid of all your illusions about hope and the universe and life after death and God. Oh, sounds fun. Uh, hilariously, they couldn't have real candles in the venue uh, because it was at, it, like <laughs> indoors and there was fire safety rules. So they used these sort of battery operated candles and then the last candle didn't go out, uh, which, you know, like was just this great moment as they're like, trying to like turn off this battery open candle. Like, I feel no, like no, that's, despair, darkness. that's a sign, uh, maybe. But we, but, uh, I don't know. I, I choose to believe that was a sign. <laughs> yes. Uh, but there was, but like the whole vision was like human ingenuity is God. Like we have the power to stop death. And maybe I'm just coping because I probably will not uh, experience in my lifetime this uh, cure for death. And maybe this is just cope so that I don't feel as bad that I'm not one of the transhumanists that gets to live forever. Uh, but. Who the hell I feel wants like this to live is probably forever. broadly speaking. Yeah, who the hell I, wants I, to live forever? That's the other part. 
I don't want to live forever, but I also don't want to die. Hmm. Huh. I mean, Both I don't want to die. I don't want to die, but I don't know. Anyway, but we can we can get into the death stuff. But look, <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. Let me just push a little bit on the One on the progress strip. thing. Just a, a little bit more on the progress thing. So I think Christine, I think you, you you raised a good point. I totally agree with you, Tara. That I don't think we have access to the peasant. So I you know I I I, I sort of was I don't know. I I just disagree with this idea that the peasant that we can have any sense of the peasant had marginally or even, you know, meaningfully more comfort on his deathbed. I, I think, I think that's what I'm getting at is that like the, the, the medieval peasant or the medieval Lord or anything, just the, the, the mental map is like, actually they're so different from us. Potentially. I can't, it's, it's I think empirically improvable, but I, I'm putting it out as a thesis that, that like the touchstones, the society is so different that we actually can't fundamentally understand what that was like. But then again, I guess the the the, the question is, Tara, is I, I still think even in your answer just now, I do think you believe in a kind of progress in the sense that you didn't say, I mean, you said human rights are good. I like them, but but you believe they're also real um, as opposed to saying that 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 really they're just the, the what I would say is that they're the product of the society that that we have been able to sort of construct that actually once a society falls apart, there won't be any human rights. It's a it's it's completely just sort of uh, extrinsic to to the social sort of arrangement that we have. And I don't think there's, this is my like profound unprogressivism. I don't think as the human race, we learn things is really what it comes down to. I, I'm, I, I don't believe that. And, and so I guess that's the question is, is this is not me saying that liberalism is bad and, and like obscurantism is good, far from it. I'm just sort of saying that liberalism is just another, is another permutation here that we're now sort of living in, but you're more hopeful than that. I'm trying to make you less well, I think I'm able. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think that I, the reason that I'm able, that you're able to hold this view and that I'm have it holding a different view is precisely because like, I do believe in transcendent good and evil. And yeah. I believe that we can weigh things morally uh, because we, uh, I, I don't know if we always have perfect or correct access to it, but like, I think it's possible to be like this thing, it's just evil and this thing is good. And I think the difficulty with talking about progress or not or not progress is because I think it's possible to look at a snapshot and say, here are the things that I like see participating in the good and here are things I do not see as participating in the good. And we, you can make sort of like pragmatic points like generally this direction has more good than bad in it or uh, here are the things that are gained. And if I were in the position to like press... I don't know, the red universe steering button, I would choose to go in this direction because these trade-offs are worth it. Trades off. Uh, but this is a different question from being able to uh, make moral judgments about different components of society. And I would think that actually, like, one of the problems with this uh, society, this, 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 this society of narcissism uh, in which you too live and perhaps which you are in this conversation affected by uh, more than perhaps one one would, would think is precisely in being able to say like we can't make like normative claims of good and evil are uh, ridiculous or fantastical or obsolete or outmoded. Uh, I think to have the kind of view that, you know, we're just talking about um, custom as it were is like a distinctly uh, it's a view that is distinctly downstream of some of the Enlightenment philosophers that I write about. That's it for part one, dear listeners. There's a lot more where that came from. 
If you're not yet a paying subscriber, please head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live and become one. Help support our work. Hope to see you in the bonus.